us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning. As we pray now by your Holy Spirit that we would so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. I arrived very late for my retreat. I was in Canada just a few weeks ago, having dropped off my eldest two daughters to college, and I grabbed a couple days for some quiet prayer retreat up in eastern Canada. But when I arrived there, due to poor planning on my part, it was very late. Nothing was open. The stores were shut down. It was a small town. All the restaurants were shut down. Nowhere to eat. I saw this light in the distance. And I said, that might be a restaurant. And I went and it was packed full and there was no room. And I just begged for a seat at the bar. I said, can I sit at the bar and someone could feed me some food? And they said, yes. So I went to the bar and I sat down. I was haggard and the bartender looked at me. There's a couple guys on each side, one here, one here. And they were very chatty and very polite. And, and I sat down all haggard and the bartender said, oh, you look tired. I said, I know I've traveled all day. I'm here for a retreat. And she said, a retreat? Are you a Christian? I said, yes. And I'm a pastor. And the words came out of my mouth. I went, oh no, I just jumped to that. And like, it's, I mean, this is the thing you try to hold back when you're a pastor as long as you can, because when you say that at a bar or at a Starbucks or on an airplane, it's like you've got leprosy. And so the guys, not surprisingly, just immediately start turning away from me. I mean, they want nothing to do with me. This very chatty bar becomes silent and their posture is away from me. And the bartender was very nice. She wanted to talk about church. She said, well, tell me about your church. And I said, well, I'm down in Plano near Dallas. And we talked about worship styles. And she asked about what we do for discipleship and for children's ministry. And so we're having this conversation. And these guys are just getting further and further away from me. And then she asked them, she said, what do you guys do at your church for mission? And I said, oh, I said, it's great. I said, we've got a, a vision that's both, that's, that's local mission, national mission, and global mission. She said, tell me more. And I said, well, locally, we work with our partners in the, in the region. We, we, we serve our families inside the church and right on our doorstep outside the church with financial assistance. I said, we, you know, we minister within prisons. We've got partners that you know, work with unplanned pregnancies and how to counsel women and support them. I said, we, we work with the homeless and the marginalized. And I said, nationally, we get to do the same thing. We just get to use funding to support other churches in inner city sections to do the same thing. And then globally, I said, we're able to do that you know, with building preschools and, and nutrition programs and education in Rwanda and other places in the world. And I stopped and I realized the two guys had turned their seats back towards me and were leaning into the conversation. And each of them said, tell me more about that. And we started talking about mission and outreach and service. And at the end of the conversation, both the guys said, can you give me the name of your church? Can you give me your website address? What is it about stories of service that grab our attention as human beings? What is it about examples of a person serving another person that stirs our hearts? 
Why does this happen? Even for seemingly non-believers to be attracted to those kind of stories, why is it these stories of service grab us? It's because deep down in our DNA, we as human beings have been created to serve, to serve one another. Service is actually rooted deep within us. The challenge is we struggle to serve. We always struggle, even those of us who want to serve. Man, I want to I be a servant. I want to serve my family. I want to serve my church and my neighborhood. But we struggle, don't we? We, we want to serve and we manage to serve a bit, but then we struggle with it. Thanks be to God, Jesus comes. Not only to show us what true service looks like, but to actually free us to become the servants we've been called to be. You know, I'm looking at Philippians chapter two today, not John 10. I realized this week as I was preparing, I was like, I already preached John 10 in 2023. That was back in April, fourth week of Easter. I preached John 10 already. It changed your lives. I know you remember every point. And so we don't need to cover that again. The truth is, I read that text from Philippians 2 this week and I was struck. I said, I have to speak about service because we all want to serve, but we all struggle. Here's the amazing thing that, if, that, that Philippians 2, did I say Ephesians? It's Philippians 2. Philippians 2 says about service, if you turn there with me. It shows us, first of all, that Jesus lived a life of service. He, he lived this perfect picture of what service looks like. But Philippians 2 also tells us how he did it. He did it because he was secure as a son. That he was able to pour himself out completely because he knew that he was a secure son of the Father. And that's amazing in and of itself, but there's even more here in Philippians 2. It's not just that Jesus lives a life of service and he can do it because he's secure as a son, but he gives you and I the same mind. He gives you and I his same mind so that we too can serve. See, first of all, Jesus lives a life of service. His life is a life filled with service. Look at verses six through eight. It's actually, we think, one of the oldest Christian hymns. That these verses, Paul is gathering together in Philippians, what has actually been sung already for maybe a decade within the church. They gather on Sunday mornings and one of the first worship songs went something like this, that he, Jesus, who was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness. And being found in human likeness, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. This picture of Jesus' humble service was one of the first hymns and worship songs of the church. And it's so countercultural in the first century. This idea of service, we need to remember we've had 2,000 years of Christianity soaking in our culture to teach us, oh, service is a good thing. In Jesus' day, in the Greco-Roman world, service and humility was seen as a vice. Aristotle said that humility was a vice. And yet in the New Testament, 270 times, humility is seen as a virtue. What happened? How could they turn the world so far upside down? It's because these men and women who met Jesus 
found out that they had met, in fact, the living God. And that living God who they met was a humble servant. That's what transformed them. They begin to understand what Jesus meant in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, when he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Absolute turn the world upside down, changing our shape and understanding of divinity. I mean, look what Jesus did. One of the greatest criticisms was that he was constantly serving the wrong types of people. He was with tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, those who are on the outcasts of society. The, the Pharisees, in fact, said in Luke chapter 15 that they were grumbling about him because this man eats with tax collectors and sinners, they said. It was offensive to them. How can he say he's a man of God and be doing this? Because God, in fact, it turns out, is a humble servant. You know, it's interesting that scholars argue about how to translate verse 6. When it says that he was in the form of God and yet became a servant, humbled himself. And, and some have tried to translate the text in a sense of contrast. Like, although he was God, contrast, he humbled himself as a servant. But actually, there's another way you can translate the text that has nothing to do with contrast. It's about consistency. In fact, you can translate verse 6 this way. Precisely because he was God... He humbled himself as a servant. You know, in the words of Augustine and Gregory of Nyssa, two of the sort of theological lightweights of the church, you know, they would say that Jesus appearing as a humble servant does not change the character of God, but displays what has been true of God's character eternally. God is a humble servant. He always has been and always will be a humble servant. And it turns the world on its head. You know, when we were going to GAFCON, the Global Anglican Futures Conference back in April, we had, I don't know, 15, 1,800 people from all over the world gathering, bishops, priests, deacons, lay members from all over the Anglican world. And we we're all coming to Kigali, Rwanda. And the host of this meeting was Archbishop Mbanda, who you've met before. He's the Archbishop of Rwanda and, on top of it, has at this time become the head of the whole of Gafcon. So he is now kind of like the new Archbishop of Canterbury. He's over 65 million Anglicans in the world. So as I arrived in Kigali, my flight was on time, just as planned. I got off my plane and there's Archbishop Mbanda greeting us. I said, oh, great, what a leader, you know, what a servant. He's here at the airport with his team greeting us. Well, I didn't know what would happen next. Most of the North American delegation got stuck on a different flight and it got stuck in Zanzibar. And so they got delayed in Zanzibar due to a wheel issue. Wheels are important on planes. You need the wings to fly, you need the wheels to land. Well, there was a wheel issue, so they're stuck on the airfield in Zanzibar, trying to find the wheel, can't find the wheel, hours go by, find the wheel, oh, we've got the wheel, but we don't have anything to inflate the wheel with, and so that took a while longer. This took hours and hours, a whole North American delegation, bishops, priests, deacons, laity, all stuck on that plane for hours Finally, the wheel is fixed. The problem, of course, just remember that these are a whole bunch of Anglicans on the plane and alcohol service had stopped hours earlier. This was the definition of hell on earth. <laughs> Finally, they get flying. 
They land in Kigali at two o'clock in the morning. And they all get off the plane, ruined and exhausted. And who at two o'clock in the morning is standing at the gate still but Archbishop Mbanda to greet them? Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, verse 27, I am among you as one who serves. Jesus lives this life of service. But he does it, note, because he is secure as a son. When we're told in verse 7 that he emptied himself, you have to ask yourself, how does a person really fully empty themselves? I mean, give up their power and authority and status to serve another. And the answer we ultimately find is the only way that you can really radically serve another person is when you recognize that you're full. You can only really pour out yourself for another when you are secure that you are full. Jesus lived his life fully secure as a son. It began right with his baptism when he heard those words, you are my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. He lived a full human life with every temptation we face, as Hebrews 4 tells us. He was tempted with everything and yet without sin. He knows what it's like for you to struggle, for me to struggle with this life. And yet even so, he was able to live out his entire life in the full knowledge of the Father's love. And as a result, he knew in every situation he was full. You know what I'm talking about. When you're feeling insecure, you can't give up anything. When you feel you don't have enough or need more status or more authority or more of something, you're not going to give up an inch because you're like, I don't have enough. I am so insecure. I need more. I need more. It's only when you're full that you can let it all go. Jesus lived a life knowing that he was completely full. When he was criticized, he knew I'm full. The father loves me. When he was mistreated, he knew he was full. The father loved me. When he was nailed to a cross, he knew that he was still full because he lived in the light, secure as a son. Friends, we have to grapple with the reality of what it means that Jesus was secure as a son and therefore could serve because it's the very root and reason that he could serve so radically. Do you want to see the best example of it next to the cross? obviously, but the best example I think we see because John actually gives us not just the moment, but gives us the insight of what was going on in Jesus' mind at that moment. John 13, they've just finished the Last Supper. John says in verse three, Jesus, listen carefully, Jesus knowing that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. That's the inner life of Jesus. He knows that the Father has put everything in his hands he rose from table, took off his outer garments, wrapped a towel around his waist, pulled, poured basin full of water, and washed his disciples' feet. This picture of service because he knew that the Father had given everything to him. See, a person who's fully secure as a son or a daughter can give it all up. They don't have to think about themselves. They don't have to be constantly worried about, you know, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? Actually can stop thinking about themselves and start thinking about everyone else around them. That's what Jesus is able to do. You know, I love telling the stories about my dogs. Levi, you've heard about Levi before. I'm Anish Schnauzer. He is probably the most insecure person I've ever met. Um, you know, Levi is five. He's turning five. Um, and he is uh, still after all these years, terribly insecure. Though he is loved and cuddled, 
he cannot stand anyone in our house showing affection to each other. If, if I hug one of my daughters, Levi growls and barks. If I kiss my wife, he loses his mind. He is so jealous of any affection going to anyone else but him, he loses his mind. And the problem is Levi is an idiot. He has forgotten all of the affection, the snuggles, the treats, the fact that he sleeps in our bed for goodness sake. He forgets all of that in a moment and he is forgetting he's loved. He's fighting for his place in this world. And here's the problem, folks. I am so often just like my dog. I forget that I'm loved. I forget that I'm full. And instead of serving, I seek to grab a hold of something that gives me a sense of security and status. Jesus serves because he's secure as a son. As Jesus, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, he who was rich became poor for our sake that by his poverty we might become rich. He pours it out secure as a son and we have been made sons and daughters of the Most High. But here's the great thing. It's not just the incredible news that Jesus lived a life of service and he did it because he was secure as a son. Here's the incredible news. You have the same mind. You in Christ have the same mind as Jesus. Verse five, he says, have this mind in yourselves. And I'm so glad that Paul doesn't stop right there because if that was all he said was that phrase, have this mind in yourselves, it would be debilitating and so horrible for us because we'd be like, oh, so now I gotta go make this happen. I, got, I gotta go find the mind of Jesus. I gotta, I gotta work at it. I gotta, I gotta try for it. I'm gonna have to, to, to find the confidence and the ability to make myself as strong and, 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 and the servant like Jesus. And thanks be to God, Paul keeps going on. He says, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours. Oh, how I love to tell the gospel. It's yours. You don't have to achieve it. You don't have to find it. You don't have to try for it. It's yours. His mind, the heart and mind of this servant king has been given to all of us in Christ. It's been given to us as a gift. Jesus in his death and resurrection has made it possible that not only would we find salvation, but we would have his same mind living in us. This is the truth of what God has done. His same mind now dwelling within you and me. We can fight it. We do. We can try and ignore it or push it aside. We do. We can imagine that it's not there. But you and I cannot undo what God has worked within us. We cannot undo and get rid of the gift that he's given to us in Christ. His mind lives in you and that's why we struggle because we know that we have a different way of living within us. We know that we've been gifted this ability to live differently. It's the second Sunday in a row. People want me to dance. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, the real son of God is at your side. He's beginning 
to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He's beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. And the part of you that does not like it is the part that's still tin. I know I quote that a lot. I'm not going to stop. Because it's true. The same mind placed into us. You want to hear another Levi story? Well, if, even if you don't, I'm going to tell it. The, um, I'm probably thinking about the fact that we have the fall festival this week in Blessing of the Beast. So maybe that's why my beast is on my mind. So you all need to come out this week for fall festival. But a number of years ago, we had a dwarf hamster escape upstairs in our house. And we say escape because none of the girls in the house would own the fact that someone left the cage open. Clearly, this dwarf hamster had some kind of you know, lock-picking set to manage to get out all on their own. Nobody left the door open. The dwarf hamster managed to get that door open on their own and got loose in the house. And of course, can you imagine the thought? You've got a mouse loose in your house. Somewhere in the house. We have no idea. And we're looking, and there's no finding the dwarf hamster and I'm freaking out. And of course, thankfully, Monica and our youngest, Kira Lee, had this moment of inspiration. They said, Levi is a schnauzer. And schnauzers are bred to find rats. They're bred as ratters. And so what did they do? They went and found Levi, who had probably never hunted for anything like this in his life. He'd been very domesticated, but they said, it's within him. Let's see what the breeding has done. They brought him upstairs. They let the schnauzer go. And within a minute, he was immediately at his task. And he cornered and found the mouse. The mouse was rescued back in the cage. And Levi was the hero and had lived into some kind of deep instinctual breeding within him. He knew how to do what he was called to do. And so is it with you and I when it comes to service. Jesus Christ has put his same mind in you and in me. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Why is it that stories of service get our attention? Why do they grab our hearts? Because service is written into our DNA as human beings. Because you and I are made in the image of God, every single one of us. And this God who's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ is a humble servant. It's written in you. And because of the death and resurrection of the Son of God, when you have come to him by grace through faith, he then implants in you finally that gift of the same mind of Jesus so you can begin each and every day more and more to live in to this life of service. Each week Jesus calls you and I to go out and serve humbly. And each week we can if we remember that we are sons and daughters of God. Each week Jesus calls us to go out and empty ourselves for the sake of the world. And we can if we remember that we're full. And so each and every week Jesus, before he sends us out, gathers us back here in the church. And before he sends us out to be emptied, He reminds us that we're full even more 
before he sends us to be emptied, he brings us here and literally fills us up with the gospel. This is who you are. By grace, through faith, sons and daughters of God, full, everything you could ever need. So go, in Jesus' name, go and be emptied. That same mind is in you. It is a gift from God. Have this same mind in you that is yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.